As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 196 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 196 losses since our last podcast. And I'm putting two and two together, and I think it's your fault. You care to comment? I think it's been at least 196 days since our last podcast. We've had... Uh... We've had some. Uh, um, we haven't lined up our vacation schedules, which I guess is good because we need someone minding the store at all times. But uh, uh, you had a, your camping excursion. I had a week in in the wilds of the northeast of the United States. Uh, I threw some hatchets, believe it or not. But um, yeah, it's uh, we were gone for for I was gone for a while, and and I came back and I felt like the the gif of of the guy from Community with the pizza boxes when he walks into the the burning apartment. He's like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" Ooh, what's ha- what's happened here? So, yeah, <laughs> clearly, clearly, the Giants did a lot of losing, played a lot of bad baseballs. I, it, I did enjoy as I was catching up on all my reading uh, what some of the headlines on your articles were. If you'd care to inform our listeners who haven't been keeping up, I'm not going to be doing the full bags where I'm in the clubhouse and, and trying to get quotes and, and write like a masterful game story. But I was watching and reacting to the games, kind of like what I used to do um, back in the day, and when you're sitting there and you've got your notes and you're trying to write and you're trying to think of how to sum this all up. So the first one I wrote was the Giants are playing extremely dull baseball right now. It just wasn't fun. I just I was watching baseball like hangdog expression. Just my my posture would slump with every inning. It was just boring. And then the next day it was the Giants are playing extremely lousy baseball right now because it was filled with little mistakes and bad decisions. It's a horrible combination of dull and lousy. And that's the only way to put it. The Giants are beating themselves. This is not a stretch where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. It's not umpires blowing it. It's not, oh, 
oh gosh, I can't believe that, you know, that diving catch prevented them from the ninth inning rally taking over. It was, no, it's just bad baseball. They deserve to lose and you deserve to feel bad for watching it in that kind of stretch. <laughs> and apparently I, I deserve to feel bad for taking a vacation and escaping it or possibly causing it by if you believe in that kind of thing. <laughs> No, I think I think you you acquitted uh, yourself well. I mean, just get out, man. Just get out and have a dinner party with Bernie Sanders and do your thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we don't write off every game, and I, I try not to write off games that aren't compelling. So I am actually, personally speaking, quite happy that uh, of all the weeks in the season that I, you know, sort of ducked out. It, it, it happened to be this one. But, you know, I, I'm sure when, when everyone sees that there's a new podcast that pops up, the last thing that anyone is saying is, oh, gosh, I hope they go game by game or the last week and detail <laughs> everything that happened against, you know, the uh, the White Sox and ooh, and, and the Tigers and, and the Diamondbacks. And yeah, so but I think that it suffice it to say that after they, they lost the first game here in San Diego, they put themselves in this position where they have to start winning games against teams like the Padres, against pitchers like Joe Musgrove, because they didn't win the games that they should have won against the Reds and against the Tigers and against the, I guess they went one and one against the Tigers, but losing two or three in Arizona and needing a, a pretty stirring comeback just to sneak out that one win. Um, this is the situation they've put themselves in, and they're they're now halfway through the season. They're forty-one and forty, and the other situation that they put themselves in is that you know they they now have to play really good baseball for the next three weeks to convince this front office that this is a roster that deserves to be supported with a player or two that can you know, make a difference and make them contenders to say nothing of, of convincing the, the front office that this is a team that shouldn't be picked apart uh, at this point. So they have done this to themselves and set themselves up for this to be a really critical three weeks when it didn't necessarily have to be. Let's be very clear. I consider a split in a two-game series against the Tigers to be a series loss. I think that effectively, if you're at home against the Tigers and you lose one of the two games, that's a series loss. So the Giants haven't won a series since the middle of June when they were at the Pirates. And that's kind of what kicked this all off when the Giants let the, the Pirates walk off on June 19th. Since then, it's been series loss after series loss. There was the series split against the Tigers. And it's against bad teams. It's the Reds, the Tigers, uh, the White Sox are a good team that's playing poorly. And the Diamondbacks, it's hard to imagine. It's one thing if this happened against the Dodgers and the Padres, and then you had the Brewers come in and the Cardinals, and oh gosh, they just didn't acquit themselves well in, in that stretch. Man, it's just this string of the soft part of the schedule that makes you think everything you knew about the Giants is different. And yeah, it might be really time to evaluate. The next three weeks are going to be critical. It's Decisions don't have to be made right now. But it's hard to imagine a stretch that could make you say... Okay, this is not what we thought. It's, it, you know, the eject button hasn't been hit, but they flipped that plastic cover over it and like their fingers uh, hovering above it. This has just been one of the most brutal stretches I, I've ever remembered. The least bad thing you can see, I guess, is uh, they haven't inspired confidence. <laughs> and you could <laughs> you could say a lot of worse things than that. And and I would throw in, though, the, the series in Atlanta when they lost three or four. That obviously is a really good team. They were super, super hot. I think all three losses were one-run losses for the Giants. So that was, you know, that was, I think it was after the Atlanta series that maybe they came home and the air was out of the balloon a little bit. But um, you're right. At the end of that road trip, they lost a walk-off uh, against the Pirates. They lost two walk-offs against the Braves. And I think that took some of the wind out of their sails. And, and you know, they, it didn't help that Anthony DiSclefani came back. And whoops, he was only back for two starts. He wasn't very good. And his ankle is still a problem. 
And this was something he had before he signed a three-year, $36 million contract, and it's basically going to wipe out the entire first year of that deal. That looks bad for everyone. That looks bad for the front office. That looks bad for the training staff. That looks bad for Anthony DiScalfani. And that was supposed to be a positive. That was supposed to be something that was uh, going to you know, maybe help to put a little bit of ballast in the boat uh, for a rotation that, that's had to flip some people around. There are positives. Logan Webb pitched great on Thursday. He's been pitching great. Carlos Rodon has continued to pitch very, very well. Uh, Alex Cobb, I think, is still a guy that you feel good about when you send him to the mound. And so when you keep screaming, the bones are good, the bones are good, those are I, those are the femurs and the, um, I guess, the uh, pick your large bones. I don't know. What do you got? Uh, your, uh, let's go with some of the bigger, chunkier vertebrae. Those are the ones I think of. So, Buddy, I'm an English major. I don't know any <laughs> So, so I, you know, I, I, I do think that this rotation gives him a chance, and, and obviously everything around it has to be better, and, and that's just top to bottom. You know, I do a national podcast with Andy McCullough, Mark Craig, and I'm forced to have opinions on teams that I don't know that well. And so I'm forced to have opinions on teams like the Phillies. And when I look at the Phillies as an outside observer, I say, man, you got Nola and you got Wheeler. That is enough to make a postseason uh, happen. That is enough to do good things in the postseason. You have to support uh, whatever's going wrong, fix it, and then you get to the postseason, you limp in with the final wild card spot, and you've got Nolan Wheeler, and other teams aren't going to like that. Well, that's kind of what's going on with Webb and Rodon. It's just... When you watch a team closely and you see all the little problems, all the little just ticky-tack things that you can pick as well as the bigger picture problems, and I just don't see how this – I don't have the imagination to see how this team suddenly becomes – not last year's team, but April's team. I mean, uh, halfway through May's team. I just, I don't see how this team becomes that without something that I'm not imagining. There's got to be some sort of surprise, and I just can't see it from here. Well, I mean, they will get Fernando Tatis Jr. back soon, and that will make, oh, shoot, that's the Padres. I always do that. Gosh darn it. You you spend a week away from the team, and you just forget everything. It's funny. I think you bring up a great point uh, when you look at the Phillies. And I actually thought of this as I was walking back to my hotel yesterday after writing my my story uh, on um, the extra inning loss uh, here in San Diego. And I was thinking, you know what? We spent so much time thinking about and asking these guys about, you know, comparing this year's team to last year's team. And, and, and what's the difference between a team that won a franchise record 107 games? And really, I think we've gotten to the point where this is just a different team. It's a different team. It's a different year. A lot of the personnel is the same. They're not having the same years. Buster Posey's loss is felt again, just like it was every time that the Giants have been without him or been without you know a healthy version of him. And I think we just need to stop comparing this team to last year's team. And maybe it's more important that we compare them to the Phillies and to the Cardinals and to the Padres and you know maybe even the Marlins, who knows, uh, the Brewers. Those are the teams they have to be better than, at least a couple of them. And, you know, it's like the old joke goes, you don't have to be faster than the Bear. I just need to be faster than you. Just need to be better than the Phillies or, or the Cardinals. And if you think you can be, because you're only two games back of those teams right now, you know, maybe that gives you a little bit of hope that, uh, you know, th- this team did play well in April and, and they do still have a pretty good pitcher that they throw out there most days. And so, you know, yeah, you, you, they still have a positive run differential. You know, they still have, I think, enough pieces in their bullpen to where a Jake McGee can be totally inefficient and, and they just aren't pitching him. Okay, they'll pitch somebody else. 
But obviously, they've got guys on the roster they didn't think would be on the roster. Obviously, they've got some issues, especially a catcher now that Kurt Caselli's out until like August. They're going to have to overcome a lot. But could they be better than the Phillies? Could they be better than the Cardinals? I don't know. Yeah, that is something. When I wrote about the Giants and how they might approach the deadline and how they're in good spot in case they do have to sell because they do have, they can kind of melt the deadline with some of the players that they have. The point that I made was they don't have to be better than the Phillies and Cardinals. They have to be better than the Phillies or Cardinals. It's just leapfrogging one of those teams or one of those teams collapsing could get the Giants in. I will include the Marlins in there. I think they've got a pretty good team. I think they they are playing under their, their capability. So you have three teams and the Giants have to be better than two of them. And I, I still think that they can be better than the Marlins. I still think that the Phillies kind of are aping their their template with uh, all clank mitts out in the the field and hoping to win by the dinger. But I think the Giants are a better, superior version to what the Phillies are trying to do. There is room to right this ship. They're not completely underwater. They're just two games out of postseason position. It's just what needs to happen is I don't think that they've had two hot hitters at the same time all season. It's always like Mike Yastrzemski's hot, and then, okay, now it's Jock Peterson again, and then, oh, Evan Longoria is up, but it's never, oh, here comes Longoria, and he's got Peterson behind him, he's got Yastrzemski behind him, and wow, this is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna go bonkers. It, it's always one guy who's hot, and I haven't figured out a way to test this or research this, but it's a, an article I've been thinking about, and it's just, it just seems like, they haven't put anything together with the offense, and then that magnifies all the problems with the rotation and, and, and the injuries and the bullpen and all that stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a mess. I think one reason they haven't gotten one more than one hitter hot at any one time is that Brandon Crawford hasn't been hot at all, and Brandon Belt hasn't been hot at all. And Crawford did just come back from the injured list, and maybe that's the refresh that he really needs. And he obviously got a really big hit in the ninth inning. It wasn't exactly scalded, but uh, you know, it's off one of the best closers in, in baseball right now who's named is not Tyler Rogers, and that tied the game in the ninth inning and, and gave him a shot to win. And obviously, they fell in the tenth, and it didn't help that they struck out three times and couldn't score their their uh, their Manfred man off of second base in the top of the tenth. But I mean, yeah, I, you know, I I think one thing you look at again, keeping the comparison on you know the Phillies and the Cardinals, you know, look at where the Phillies were to start the year when the Giants you know kind of walked over them early in the season. And they were 22 and 29, and they were totally clank committing their way through, you know, the first two months of the year. And I, I really thought when when the Giants, you know, beat them two out of three, and and they had just uh, lost, I think, three in a row to the Mets before that, and left them at 22 and 29. I thought, well, well, that's it. The Giants did themselves a favor. They they buried uh, one team that was going to compete with them for the wild card, and obviously they they sacked Joe Girardi. Uh, whether that was a, a reason or not, uh, they just they, they turned on the, the switch right there. They won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in a row, and then lost uh, two out of three, and then won five more in a row, and then boom, they're right back in it. So I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, so you know, I, I, maybe you can take some inspiration from that. Another thing I don't know how to research quite yet, but I want to write about is it feels like the Giants are the streakiest team I've ever watched because they have winning streaks and then they have losing streaks and they're not small winning streaks and they're not small losing streaks. It's always, hey, they've won five in a row, they lost six in a row, hey, they won four in a row, they lost five in a row. It's bizarre to watch this team that you know can fire on at least seven-eighths of the, their cylinders because they did it last year and they did it in April. It's it's frustrating to watch them just feel 
feel like there's momentum and then reminding you that momentum probably is an illusion, at least as it pertains to baseball teams. So this is one of the streakiest teams I, I can ever remember. And I'm not sure if there's a way to, to fix that, if there's a way to adjust or if it's just a quirk, a sample size quirk. I don't know. It's just it's been a frustrating team to watch as far as the streaks. And that you look at the record, 41 and 40, they were 13 and 14 in May, they were 13 and 13 in June. I mean, they, the months themselves have been 500 months. And obviously, July, they've given back basically all of the climbing they did in April uh, to get back to you know basically 500. But um, I would think that a team that goes through those kinds of five hot, five not kind of streaks would be one that doesn't have any pitching at all and has and relies on a lot of offense. And when the offense isn't there, you know, it's it's hard to really get uh, some consistency. But that that I don't think has really been the case. I mean, I know the Giants' rotation doesn't rank among the league leaders this year, but I still think most days, even when they have a bullpen game, I feel pretty decent about you know who they're throwing out there. I mean, Sammy Long's going to take the ball here Friday, and he's been pitching really well. And so, you know, obviously you throw a Sean Jelly in there, he hasn't looked ready. He he gave up a lot of runs. He got optioned out. They have had some some guys throw innings that probably shouldn't be on the mound, including position players, but uh, as fun as that is. For the most part, I think they're giving innings to the right people. And I would think that the, that kind of a team with those kind of strengths would be you know able to put some streaks together and, and, and be a little more consistent you know from week to week, and it just hasn't been the case. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. They got in this position. They're still 500 because they had one of those streaks. They had it in April. April was, uh, I was having a lot of fun tweeting that the Giants were on pace for 107 wins, 108 wins, because they were, and I knew that they weren't going to win 107 again, but it, it was just, they picked up where they left off. And I still feel like this could be a team that would have one of those streaks again. I think you nailed it with it has to be it has to come from the Brandons. It has to come from at least one of them doing something that resembles anything because it's been a long time for both. They both have a, an adjusted OPS of 89. Belt's OPS is, uh, oh, oh dear, it's 666, which that's going to add fuel to the Belt Wars. Crawford's is 669. It's just... You're not getting anything from first. You're not getting anything from from short. You're not getting anything defensively from Crawford compared to what you're used to. That's where it's got to start. And I got to say, I get that they're 34 and 35 respectively, but that's not a bad. That's not that's not science fiction when you're saying I want this guy to hit a little bit better, closer to what he was last year, even if it's a guy in his mid 30s. I think there's a column here, and I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm not sure if it's something that you want to write or it's something that I find a way to write. 
But, you know, I, I've always found it kind of interesting that I would say the general perception of former Giants GM Bobby Evans is a negative one. Obviously, things didn't work out when he was kind of handed the reins. Some trades that he ma- he made or didn't make, you know, I go back to his, I think, tongue-in-cheek at the time comment to John Heyman calling himself a knucklehead for not trading for Mark Melanson in 2016. But that team had the best record in baseball at the All-Star break. And I think the number one thing that, he, that Bobby Evans gets criticized for is putting too much faith in this core and going for it and, and subtracting players like Brian Reynolds from the farm system to, to get Evan Longoria and to get Andrew McCutcheon and to take one more run at it and overestimating just how strong the core of the team was. And it fell apart. And it fell apart in large part because Brandon Belt couldn't stay healthy. Brandon Crawford had some pretty bad years. Buster Posey was very compromised and wasn't uh, was sort of a shadow of his former self. And you look up, and the same thing has kind of happened this year. I mean, don't get on Bobby Evans so much for, for making this mistake because maybe the current administration made that same mistake too. And they were backed into a corner a little bit. They, I think they had to reward Brandon Crawford for the season he was having last year. They looked at Brandon Belt and, the, and how he just does everything offensively when he's right that they value. And obviously he hasn't been right, but they took a gamble on those two guys. And you could say that they sort of, you know, put the same kind of faith in, in that core when that core was obviously a couple years older too. And it's come back to bite them this year. It really has. And that's not a, a criticism personally of those guys. I mean, they, they don't want to be producing at the level they're producing at. And they knew they wouldn't have Buster this year after Buster's resurgent final season. So, yeah, it is interesting. You know, it's it, it's hard, man. It's hard to put a team together. It's hard to know what you can count on. And nothing is static in this game. So next time you Bobby Evans' name comes up, maybe lay off a little bit, okay? This is a good point. I mean, first off, anyone who is slandering Bobby Evans, I think you need to remember all the parting gifts that he left. Uh, and I'm talking to everyone from Belt to Crawford to, to Logan Webb and it's so many pieces of what made the Giants good last season. It, it came from the previous regime. And that's to the current regime's credit because they were able to polish these players up. They were able to repurpose them like they were thrift store shoppers and, and make them into these beautiful boutique ready uh, pieces of art and that is on both front offices and that that's a good thing listen when you're counting on a lineup of over 30 players uh position players it's you have to have a lot go your way that's been true now it's it's always it's a baseball truism that extends decades in the past it is tough to do that and i'm trying to think of what the giants were thinking i, I think there's Part of it was, well, we have depth. We have guys we can rotate in. We're going to assume that there's going to be some injuries here and there. But we have the depth. We've got, we can put, if if Crawford is hurt, well, we've got Tyro Straw. We, we can scoot over. If Belt's hurt, we've got Ruff we can put at first. And Lamont Wade Jr. we can put at first. They felt comfortable with their depth. But I also wonder just how much of a sigh of relief that they breathed when they had that extra postseason spot to play with and how there wasn't as much of a penalty. There wasn't that one game play in. I wonder how much that that factored in and just they could think, okay, well, if we get in, we'll we'll make some havoc with the rotation and we don't have to worry so much about catching the Dodgers. That was fun. We did it. Uh, 
we had some fun doing it, but let's just focus on getting in the postseason. And I wonder if that's what's coming back to bite them as much as trusting the the older veterans. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's one thing to say, look, you know, in all reality, we had an outlier season last year. The Dodgers won 106 games. We needed to win 107 to win the division. We did it. It's one of the greatest division races, most accomplished division race uh, in baseball history. If you look at the fact that no team has ever won 106 games, uh, as many as that, and, and not finished in first place. But I think that, you know, they, they were probably a little bit sober and clear-eyed and, and realized that the Dodgers are probably going to win 100-plus games again in 2022. And the Giants probably aren't. I mean, they, they had a lot of coin flips go their way that, that allowed them to win 107. And, and you know, so, yeah, I, I would not blame them for saying, look, our goal this offseason is not to build a mega team that can compete, you know, and win every simulation, season simulation with the Dodgers. I don't blame them at all, especially when second place in the division or even third place, if, if you, you win enough games, doesn't get you a one and done game. It gets you a best of three game. It, they might all three be on the road. You might not get a home game. But uh, you have some pretty good pitching. You can throw at anybody. You can, you can win that series. You get in. Anything can happen. Giants fans know that better than anybody. So I don't think it was total complacency. I think that some of it was very, very clear-eyed. But I think there was some complacency, too. I think there were some assumptions made. And, you know, the last thing I wrote before I went on a vacation was sort of a, a little bit of a column, which I don't do very often, just about wondering whether the Giants have gotten a little bit stale. And that goes for... You know, making assumptions that winning 107 games was going to capture the marketplace and was going to sell itself. And I think we're learning this year that, no, it's not. And, you know, the fact the Warriors just won a, another championship, you know, the fact that inflation is making it tough for people to come to the ballpark. I know we covered this in the last podcast a little bit, but I do think that there were some assumptions that were made, both in building this team and selling this team, that are you know, kind of proving not to be 100% true. And that's I think there is some culpability there. Selling this team is is an important part because when you look at the free agents who uh, the Giants could have signed, look, Nick, Nick Castellanos is not doing so hot. Trevor Stories had been up and down. There wasn't necessarily a magic bullet. You can go and play Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, yeah, this player would have made the Giants much better. You can pick a la carte and try and build the perfect offseason. But in practice, it just wasn't going to be that easy. But it's not necessarily about the production. It's about the enthusiasm, the excitement. Because when I watch the Giants play in San Diego and I see a full Petco Park filled with screaming Padres fans, the Padres didn't win 107 games last year. The Padres have just been trying really, really hard in spending and getting stars like Machado and even Hosmer, if he hasn't worked out that great. They've been giving that good faith effort toward their fans and saying, yeah, we're going to keep trying. We're the only team left in San Diego, and this is what we're going to do about it. And that is something that's missing from the Giants. They are being smart. They're being practical. They're avoiding the big mistakes. At the same time, there is something to be said about that sort of aura around the team. Just, hey, we're going for it. Come on out. It's a great time. As opposed to, hey, we've got Kevin Padlow. Come on out. See Kevin Padlow. It's just a different vibe. And it's easier to park here. And it's easier to, you know, walk around the ballpark and, you know, there's 
more activity. And it's I, I think some some folks are not back in the city or are afraid to go back in the city. But this is a more without being too judgmental about the whole, I guess, uh, mood or, or state of the Bay Area in San Francisco in particular. This is a nice place to come watch a game or a series. And I've heard that from a lot of Giants fans. I, I got one message from a Giants fan who lives in um, near Lake Tahoe. And he said, look, I would rather drive to Reno and fly down here and watch a game at Petco Park, which is, you think about, it, gosh, you know, Oracle Park is beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful ballparks in the major leagues. But, you know, the parking situation is a mess. And I, I see it. I drive past the parking garages all the time, the private ones, and it'll be, you know, 55, 65, 75 bucks to park your car. That's a serious barrier to entry. And I think for some fans, they feel they have a better experience when they come down here and watch the Giants. And that's why there's still a ton of Giants fans, even in a sellout crowd. And it was really neat. I, I think, well, neat is not the right word, but uh, just such an awful scene uh, when Jerks and Profar uh, collided with C.J. Abrams on uh, that Tommy Lastella bloop that Abrams caught. And, and Abrams, uh, obviously, uh, his knee connected with Profar's jaw, and he hoped that he's okay because he was woozy. He tried to get up, couldn't get up twice, stumbled on the field, I, it just uh, had to be carted off. It's just an awful, awful-looking situation. And Giants fans and, and Padre fans were just totally unified, all applauding for him when he, he gave a little fist uh, as he was being uh, carted off the field. But you do still, in those moments, you know, when the Giants do something good, you still hear a lot of Giants fans in this ballpark. And they've got to somehow recreate that experience and get people excited about coming to a game in San Francisco again, uh, especially all the fans they have out in Sacramento, all the fans they have, you know, down in Monterey. We know it's a fan base that isn't necessarily concentrated. It's it's all over the Bay Area. And it's not easy to get into, into the city for a game sometimes. And, you know, but they, they haven't created a compelling enough product. Yeah, I mean, not to get too navel-gazy, but one of the reasons I have not gone to the ballpark a lot this year, one of the main reasons is the parking situation because the media parking is up by the Bay Bridge. I have to drive because for the night games, BART shuts down at, at, at midnight and, and I have to drive in. And if I'm parking the Bay Bridge and I'm thinking about, well, man, if I'm walking back to my car at midnight, do I really want to do this? Uh, no, nah, you know, I'll just stay home and watch it from home. And it's it's spoiled, yes, but at the same time, it, when you said that, it kind of a light bulb went off in my head like, yeah, that has kind of been a tipping point for me. Uh, should it be? I don't know. But it's the way the Giants aren't necessarily compelling people to come out to the ballpark. That's not great. But I do think that there's something in when the Giants were going to sign or not going to sign, but trying to sign Bryce Harper. There was a reason for that. They wanted someone to put on the billboards. They wanted someone to to have on the promotional material and, and get people excited. And I don't know if there was anyone necessarily from this free agent class that could have done that. But something, man, some trade, some free agent, even if it wasn't the smartest baseball play from a public relations standpoint, I think that might be what's lacking with this team is they're not inspiring. When it doesn't work, it's not inspiring, I guess. When it works like last year, pretty darn inspiring. When it doesn't work this year, it's like, yeah, what do you think was going to happen? Of course, that's not going to work. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they had identified really a difference making free agent having a really good year like Jock Peterson or or, or like Carlos Rodriguez. <laughs> oh, wait a second. They did. They did. We still have to come back and give them credit for making two really good signings and spending a lot of money. And and they spent a lot of money in ways that were we don't see, like the entire, you know, seventy million dollar minor league complex. And but yeah, I, I I agree. They set themselves up for this criticism by, you know, entering the season with a payroll that's, you know, league average instead of being in the top ten where they've been forever. They still have a team that can turn it around, but I, I do wonder if 
there's going to be some marching orders from ownership that's going to be a little bit different because they've given Farhan Zaidi all the, the free reign in the world uh, to make moves as he sees fit. And I wonder if there's going to be a little more of a tap on the shoulder that says, look, get us some star power. We need somebody we can market. We need someone we can sell. And if that's the case, well, you're either going to try to trade for Juan Soto, which you know we know the Nationals have set up and down they're not going to do, at least in the short term. But people go back on their word. You don't lose uh, you know, Mike Rizzo's phone number. But then you've got Aaron Judge, you know, who's, who's going to be a free agent. And I think a lot of this is probably posturing so he can get the most money and best deal he can from the Yankees. But maybe not. We all thought Freddie Freeman would stay with the Braves, and he didn't. Maybe even Freddie Freeman thought he'd stay with the Braves, we found out, uh, since he's fired his agent um, after going back to Atlanta and obviously not uh, being able to kind of cut the emotional cord there. But anyway, I digress. I, I, I think that what makes this interesting for me, especially these next three weeks, is you can make a great case. And I know that you guys talked about it on your podcast with uh, other Andy and uh, and Mark Carrig, making the case that the Giants should be sellers. And you can make a great case that they should be sellers. This roster needs an infusion. It needs to be younger. It needs to be more athletic. And maybe you trade a Rodon. Maybe you trade a Jock Peterson. A Dom Leone could help a lot of teams. Um, you know, there are players that have some value here uh, that could be total difference maker uh, for, for a team like the Yankees, etc. But, you know, if you do tear it down, how do you convince an Aaron Judge to sign with you in this offseason? They'd be right back to where they would be in 2019 when they're basically, you know, obliterating the back half of the 40-man roster, uh, starting almost all over. And you try to convince Bryce Harper to sign with you. And Bryce is like, uh, guys, you know, no thanks. I'm... You know, I'm, I'm making the cutting motion in front of my uh, in front of my neck while sitting in my Oscar seat at the Oscars here. No thanks, guys. I, I, I thanks, but yeah, I, I'm going to go somewhere else. I I think they could be in that situation if they really do sell a lot of parts and 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 turn themselves into a bit of a jumble. So it's a very very interesting time, I think, for the people who call the shots in this organization. And you know, it, it probably we're just going to have to take their temperature in three weeks. How do you get Aaron Judge to sign with the Giants? Man, I have an idea. How about a meet and greet with his childhood idol, Rich Aurelia? <laughs> that could probably be arranged. Yeah, that could be arranged. Dude, grow up a Giants fan wearing 35 because of Rich Aurelia. I, you get all the Rich Aurelia you want. He will live in your home, Aaron Judge. We can make this happen. I don't know. I think that's a pretty compelling sales pitch. I remember he did like an interview from home, I think. Maybe it was during the pandemic, but it was on MLB Network, and he had framed jerseys in the background. There was a Buster Posey. I'm like, hmm, really? Okay. <laughs> I, we know that Buster has not been a very good recruiter. He's, you know, tried to talk up John Lester and who knows, you know, and, and Harper, who knows who else. And he's joked about how he's a terrible recruiter. But maybe he you know, called Aaron Judge this offseason might uh, – might might be a good idea. But hey, or maybe Rich Aurelia can show up with a case of Red Stitch wine, just uh, crack open a bottle, get Aaron Judge uh, just deliriously drunk, and, and, and he signs a contract uh, for you know 10 years and, and, and $10 million. Maybe that'll happen. Yeah, these are good points. I mean, I think you get any free agent drunk, and they are going to be more pliable, more amenable to what the Giants are trying to build. I think that's just a good strategy all around. All right, this has been episode number, what did we say this was? This is 196 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. Uh, We will talk about what happened to the Giants over the weekend. We'll try and figure out if they are buyers or sellers. by then, I don't think they'll know, but we'll have a better idea. So we will see you then. Thanks so much for listening. 